Hey guys, and welcome to the Grow Podcast. We're so happy you're here. I'm Ashley, your host for the monthly grain segment of the podcast, brought to you by the Landis Grow Solution Center. On today's episode, I have Jake Moline from Stonex joining me today. And I'm so excited because Jake is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the grain marketing and helping our customers manage their risk. I always enjoy working with Jake and the advice that he provides. I really, truly hope that a lot of our growers are ready to learn so much really from listening into this episode. Jake, welcome to the podcast. Tell us about yourself, what you do for Stonex, and in particular, tell our customers what you do for Landis. Well, first off, yeah, my name is Jake Moline. I work for Stonex, uh, have been working for Stonex for going on 10 years now. Right after college, I started with Stonex, so I graduated from Iowa State in 2012 with a degree in Ag Biz and Econ, and my technical title is Risk Management Consultant. It's a fancy way of saying broker, which can sometimes have a <laughs> negative connotation. So most of my customers that I deal with are, are commercial grain elevators, co-ops, privates, uh, some end users. I've become, I would say, increasingly involved with uh, assisting my customers, my commercial customers, with how they uh, buy grain from producers and help producers manage risk. Most of that's done through cash contracts, uh, embedding some of the pricing mechanisms that we deal with on the futures and options markets into, into cash contracts and developing marketing plans and uh, doing some farmer meetings. So I've been working with Landis since it became Landis and, and prior to that uh, with West Central. But it's been a fun ride. It's, it's um, Landis is a very progressive cooperative and it, it's fun to work with uh, cooperatives who are willing to try new things and, and promote new things to farmers. So uh, primarily when it comes to dealing with, um, or I guess assisting Landis on a daily basis, a lot of my uh, time and effort is spent advising Landis on how to manage their basis position, uh, spreads, so grain merchandising type stuff. Mm -hmm. But as I said, you know, over the past five years or so, it's been probably equal or more amount of time uh, spent on the grain origination side and uh, helping Landis to develop and, and promote new grain contracts to farmers, different choices that they can utilize to manage their risk and, and different ways that Landis can originate grain uh, from farmers. So that's, that's primarily um, how I deal with Landis. I guess I should also mention, you know, Landis does have a brokerage division essentially. So farmers do have the ability to open individual brokerage accounts um, through Landis with Stonex. Uh, they're what's called an introducing broker for us. So farmers do have that option if they would like to manage risk themselves via the futures and options markets, they can do that through Landis as well. Well, cool. I know I always enjoy, you know, I'll get an email every once in a while from you, whether it be, you know, a graph of current events coming on, or um, I always love when you send different accumulator prices or, you know, some of those higher risk management contracts that we're not going to dive in here today. Um, but you're always just thinking about, you know, the customer in a different way for him, him or her to produce or protect their risk. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to market information, there's just an unlimited amount of you really know, stuff is. that you can read and listen to out there. And, and I think part of our job here at Stonex and, and honestly Landis's job too, is to kind of distill down that, you know, sometimes overwhelming amount of information out there and to kind of what's important. Why does it matter to me? How could it affect grain prices and, and my operations profitability in the end? One of the things I've tried to do over the past couple of years uh, more so is, is, 
get farmers to think about profitability rather than price. You know, because as, as we've come to realize this year, especially, you know, there there's different things that go into risk management for a farmer. It's not just on the output side with grain, but also managing those inputs and, and realizing essentially, you know, I guess the first step is you need to know your costs and you need to know your break even. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you're kind of playing pin the tail on the donkey on I'm making this grain sale, but I don't know if it's a profitable one. And if it is, I don't know how profitable it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I would say farmers are doing a better job of that uh, recently. I think part of that's because we're, we're seeing kind of the next generation of farmer come on that is more willing to utilize software and, and share information and allow um, companies like Landis to help them put those numbers together and develop marketing plans. Because if you're just trying to wing it, essentially, I, I would not be able to sleep at night, essentially, <laughs> uh, dealing with the amount of risk and the amount of dollars that yeah. a lot of these operations are dealing with on, on a daily basis. It's really important to know where you're at first before you can start to develop a, a marketing plan and, and targets and goals and that type of thing. So we're trying to get farmers to, to think in terms of profitability rather than, than price and big piece of that is how crop insurance fits into your risk management plan as well. I think there's a lot of people out there uh, that, that know the grain markets really well, and they know the different instruments you can utilize to uh, protect yourself when it comes to price risk on corn or soybeans. Um, but there's, and there's a lot of people out there that know crop insurance really well as well. Mm -hmm. um, but there's not a lot of people that know how those two things fit yeah. together. How to mesh them. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be, I think a big push um, for me in, in assisting uh, Landis in, in the coming years is is trying to help people connect those dots, you yeah. know, because crop insurance should give producers the comfort and confidence to make grain sales, especially forward grain sales, and especially in this particular year, without having that kind of fear of missing out on on the additional upside potential that exists yeah. out there because of the way crop insurance works, and it's a fantastic thing out there, revenue protection probably one of the most important tools for a, a row crop producer out there. Not to mention it's, it's a, a cheap way to protect yourself because it is subsidized. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing how that fits into your marketing plan and allowing that to give you confidence to make decisions, I think is a big thing. And that's one of the, I guess, most common mistakes that I see producers making on a daily basis is kind of freezing up and, and doing nothing, mm -hmm. right? Cause yeah. doing nothing, is a decision. It is. It's uh, a marketing decision. Yeah. Whether you want to admit it or not, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you see that more more than I do on a daily basis, actually. But um, <laughs> yeah, getting guys to just kind of guys and gals to kind of just continue to make decisions. We don't have to make big decisions and make big sales all the time, but it's important not to just freeze up and do nothing because that can be a, a dangerous uh, way to manage risk, and especially when you're again dealing with the the types of dollars that we're dealing with today. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. I have kind of three topics in there, simply put, old crop, Deece 2022, and Deece 2023. But before we kind of jump into those, um, I want to dive in and first just start talking about some of these current events. Um, obviously, we've got a pretty long list of current events that are really impacting 
the grain trade today. So um, we've got what feels like really a never ending situation that's happening over in Ukraine, um, a planting season that's delayed. Um, we've got a lot more rain in the forecast um, for this upcoming weekend, really small planning progress report that we saw out yesterday, um, more Chinese purchases. And really, I think what's kind of intriguing, two things for me is this rising cases of avian influenza. And then also, I'm going to throw one that I didn't prepare you for, but kind of this like fiber fuel food conversation of corn as we move forward and soybeans, right? And so really the market has felt a little sort of like a dud for the last week or so. Um, and I want to talk about that because I think sometimes when I tell the, the producer that it's just the lack of new news in the market... Like, what does that mean, Jake, when we say that? And, you know, that I feel like that answer frustrates the farmer so much. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we've been experiencing a bull market that's lasted going on you know, almost two years here now. Yeah. It's amazing thinking back to like, I think it was 2018, just kind of the 180 we've done with the fundamental situation in the grain market, how it went from extremely oversupplied and low prices to uh, extremely undersupplied and, and extremely high prices that are doing their best to ration demand. And you're correct that there seems to have been a string of just one thing after another uh, that's been thrown at this grain market. And I think it's important to have a distinction between kind of longer term market influences and mm -hmm. news. And sometimes that that daily headline is, is not really news, it's noise. Yeah, that's um, great. You know, there's little daily price swings that occur on a daily basis. And it's if, if you're trying to make a living predicting those things, um, <laughs> more power to you. I cannot do that myself. And I don't think it's wise for a farmer to get into that business either of, of trying to guess, you know, the daily price swings or get too hyper-focused on the short term. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a couple of the big things that are currently influencing, you know, grain prices, both domestically and globally are, you know, the the production losses that we're expecting and experiencing in South America. Mm -hmm. You know, it's back in October, I believe if you looked at the USDA's, you know, production estimates for soybeans uh, down in Argentina and Brazil combined, we've lost, you know, a billion bushels of soybean production in, in South America since last fall. That's a big, big thing. When we talk about the Ukrainian situation and kind of the, the slowdown in exports out of that country, that's an, another big thing. They're not a massive uh, corn producer on the global scale, but they are a big player on the export side, mm -hmm. you know? So think about commodities and why, you know, commodity merchandisers exist or commodity traders exist is a lot of times commodities are grown or produced in parts of the world where they're not consumed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the job of companies like Landis to help facilitate the movement of those commodities to where they need to be. And, um, Ukraine, I think, accounts for 16% of roughly 16% of the global export market on, on corn. They're a huge player on wheat. They're a huge player on, on sunflower oil. Yeah. Uh, we've had, you know, other little things here recently in the, in the news about the banning of uh, exports of palm oil out of Indonesia, which is when you talk about palm oil, it's really Indonesia and Malaysia. So veg oil uh, market is getting very, very tight globally. And then you've got... Um, you know, some of the, the new things, I guess, domestically here when we're talking about food versus fuel versus fiber, I, I think it's important to talk about renewable fuels, I guess, in, in two different sectors. So you have ethanol and you have what I would call the renewable diesel, biodiesel market. And 
I think when we look at renewable diesel, uh, we're kind of at that point in time in history. If you think back to 2006 when RFS first came out, ethanol boom began. That's kind of the point in history we're at with renewable diesel. Uh, with the way that policy is written, we're expecting to see a big boom in renewable diesel production. And the bottom line is you need feedstock to supply to those mm-hmm. different renewable diesel plants out there. And we're, we've seen a, a slew of different new domestic crush plants announced on, on oh, the soybean gosh, side yeah, here. New one every every week, it seemed like, for a while there. But I think that in a similar way that we saw uh, corn demand domestified or, you know, go from, you know, exporting half or two-thirds of our, our corn uh, prior to RFS, I think we're going to see a similar thing. We're going to export fewer soybeans out of the, the U.S. in the coming years, and we're going to have demand centers, I guess, domestically that are going to help us uh, pick up the slack there. It, it's a good thing because we're seeing a slowdown in Chinese demand, which is frightening if you're a you know U.S. row crop producer. But I think renewable diesel market is going to more than pick up the slack there. It, it's going to have a positive effect on on basis locally for um, row crop producers, especially on the soybean side. And I I do think it's a it's a, a consistent demand base, but keep in mind that it it's policy driven, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what gets uh, put into place with a stroke of a pen and paper can be taken away just as easily. Yeah. Um, so that that's somewhat scary, but I think grain producers out there can sleep a little bit better at night knowing that you have, you know, big oil companies and, and uh, energy companies investing in these renewable diesel plants and, and sometimes uh, also the soybean crush facilities as well. So the, the fact that those guys are a part of this, I think, increases the long-term viability, I guess, of that uh, sector. So on the ethanol side, I would say more of the news here recently has been you, know, you got the year-long E15 waiver. Yeah. Um, that doesn't matter. Uh, only, I think it's like 6% of the gas stations globally even offer E15. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a drop in the bucket when it comes to saying, yeah, we're going to allow the summer sales of E15. Uh, the real issue there is just availability. You have to incentivize, you know, gas stations to put the infrastructure in place to make that available to consumers year round. And, mm-hmm. and because this is a temporary waiver, uh, I don't see that happening. And I just don't see a, a major long-term impact uh, based on this particular situation. That's not to say that additional things with E15 couldn't happen down the road, but you know, the big thing with ethanol is the whole electric vehicle scare. Yeah. Um, and, I think that's going to be a very, very slow transition, right? If, if you're a farmer that is over 50 years old, I really don't think you need to worry about electric vehicles at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I think today when it comes to new car sales, um, roughly only 6 or 7% of new car sales are, are electric vehicles today. And even if you were to say that going forward, every vehicle sold going forward is going to be an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. right? You got 290 million people in in uh, the United States, it's going to take roughly seven years before you would fully turn over that fleet. So, and that's if it was 100% electric vehicle. So I, again, I I wouldn't get too concerned over that. It's going to be a slow transition. It will have a, an effect slowly, but as we see this surge in renewable diesel and domestic demand for soybeans, I think it's going to be very common uh, in you know the next decade to plant consistently more soybean acres in the U.S. than corn acres. But I probably went on too long about 
that. But no, you're good. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? Um, just to get us thinking about things that you know aren't in the news every single day, and you know, renewable biodiesel is one of those. Truly. Um, all right, so I want to move on to this old crop situation. Um, I feel like customers ask me every day, "What do you feel like is left on farm?" And the, the answer changes every day. I feel like depending mm-hmm. on who I've talked to. So. Um, how do you think the farmer needs to be really trying to manage their risk today with all the different current events and honestly a really high corn price? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about old crop, they're playing with house money, right? Yeah. If you're holding on to old crop corn and you have not yet sold it. You're really uh, just gambling. More power to you because <laughs> I, I would not have had the, the stones to hang on to uh, <laughs> corn that long. Uh, so it, it, it's all gravy from here, right? If you do want to maintain upside potential, yeah, you could you could hold that in the bin at home. Um, you could store it here in Landis and wait. Uh, but the bottom line is that the the forward curve of the corn market is not paying you to do that right now. Yeah. Um, there's an inverse in the market, and you need to kind of put yourself yourselves in the shoes of say a grain merchandiser, which we're thinking about this all the time. You know, there's a big inverse from July to Sep, and I don't think that basis strength is going to keep pace with what that inverse looks like. So it's going to be a losing proposition essentially to hold on to old crop corn ownership from a, a basis standpoint. We have started to see a little bit of basis strength here recently. Processors calling around and 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 firming up bids here recently. Mm-hmm. But I would say, in my opinion, if, if you wanted to maintain upside in, in old crop corn and you were still holding on to corn, you're better off getting rid of that corn and, and maintaining upside through some long optionality, right? Either doing a a minimum price type contract with Landis, or if you have a brokerage account, selling the physical corn and buying calls or call spreads uh, mm-hmm. to keep upside open. It's, it is somewhat expensive, uh, obviously, but uh, if, if you think the market can rally by more than what that premium is, then you can do that. But I think it's important to kind of just say, all right, I've held on to this long enough. You're, you have a finite amount of time before a new crop, right? Yeah. And we all know where basis is headed once we reach new crop. Yep. And you might have some up and down in between then, but the end result is, is going to be 40 under the D's, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's a, a good idea to hold on to too much old crop if you have it it's still on the farm, and not to mention the quality risk that goes yeah. along with that. Let's transfer that quality risk from our farm to Landis. They're willing to accept that for us. Mm-hmm. And if we want to maintain upside length, let's do it on paper or through a, a grain contract that Landis offers that allows us to do that. Well, I think that's a great call out. And, um, you know, to a lot of our, you know, producers listening, we do have a lot of facilities that are offering free price later today. So, you know, that's a great opportunity um, to go ahead and move that quality risk because truly we have been seeing a little bit of quality issue here. I mean, we put a really dry product in the bin and I think a lot of the farmers were like, oh, it'll be fine. And we've honestly seen just some quality issues. And so, you know, I would say if you haven't done much movement, be sure you're consistently checking that and free price later is a great way to go ahead and do that. But I mean, gosh, let's just take a breath and realize that we've got $8 cash corn. You know, so, okay, Jake, you pretty much answered this, but I mean, you're talking to a farmer, you're in my shoes. um, He's still got 30% of his old crop left in the bin because there are a handful of these guys out here. I mean, your advice truly is take off some risk so you can sleep better at night and go ahead. And if you do, if you are bullish, buy that back on a paper option. Yeah. And that probably would have been my answer a month ago or two months ago. (laughs) So, um, you know, obviously the guys that have hung on to that are are smiling ear to ear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. but I just think 
yes, there's probably a limited amount of downside in the corn market as we move forward through the next month. But, you know, we're going to get into that time frame in June where we have a new acreage report. right? Yeah. And you look at what's happened since the March acreage report, you know, corn, the corn rally has outpaced the soybean rally. Mm-hmm. Corn's up 10%, beans are up 8%. And I know a lot of people, including myself, were very surprised by those acreage figures that came out in March. And most people, including myself, are expecting a pretty sizable shift over to corn. There really needs to be. So I think the the window of opportunity, if you're holding on to old crop corn, and for that matter, making new crop corn sales, might be the best in between now and when that June acreage report comes out. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think a lot of us sometimes forget about that June report, um, especially if you're not you know, consistently in the trade. Um, it's one that you don't you don't ever forget to mark your calendar for the March planning intentions report or the acreage report, but that June one sometimes slips our gears. So I want to go ahead and shift gears and, and really start to talk about Dees 2022. But along with that, you know, let's talk about NOB 2022 as well. Um, and really that new crop delivery um, in particular. So, I mean, really this Dees board continues to make new highs. Um, and a lot of farmers, you know, I talk to every day are just really in a holding pattern because of that. And it is frustrating. And I want, I want to talk a little bit about like, is this a good idea to be in a holding pattern? And how do we get over the fact that Three or four months ago, we sold $5 futures, right? But, you know, that was a great decision on that day. So how do we kind of talk about both of these? Yeah, I think it's important to put things in context, right? You know, you look at these corn futures today and where they're trading at. Uh, you're, if you look at, you know, the past 10 years of price history in these corn, mm-hmm. right? We have spent less than 2% of the time above where we are today. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I realize that inflation has affected prices and when you really look into that which I've I've done this year it's amazing how much of an impact inflation has on prices you know I would say six months ago it was very common for people like myself uh, to look at a carry out to use chart domestically here and kind of look at prices and where we've been historically and say oh the corn market is a dollar overvalued or a dollar fifty overvalued but when you look at those prices adjusted for inflation, that explains a lot of what we thought was the overvalued nature in the corn market. Now, since three or four months ago, we've had a few things happen, obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, globally, that have added some world premium into that. It's important to, to note that this is not just a U.S. corn market. It's a global corn market. So that that's contributed to some additional premium that's been built into these markets. But most of that can be explained by the, you know, the losses that we're going to expect in South America and some of the Ukrainian situation. But, you know, we're at a very, very good price level. And I think holding pattern is a fancy way of saying doing nothing, which, uh, you know, I alluded to at the beginning is, is probably not the best marketing plan. There's probably a lot of uh, farmers out there who have already forward sold a, a decent amount of new crop corn. Right. And this has not been a fun two years to be a forward seller of grain. Yeah, no doubt. I'm a big proponent of forward selling grain. Yeah. So it's years like this and years like 2012 where we start to see that kind of FOMO creep into people's psyche and it prevents them from continuing to be disciplined forward sellers, sellers of grain because uh, it's not fun to deliver Happy you know, like this. $4 corn when your neighbor's delivering $7 corn. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a fact. <laughs> um, but I would say when you look at your individual operation and you look at where the spring crop insurance price was established, right? And I've already alluded to the fact that we're in the top two or 3% of uh, just 
daily price history for Dees Corn, and you also look at where Dees Corn is today relative to the last forever, we have never been higher at this point on the calendar for Dees Corn than we are today. That's so crazy. Um, just to say, I mean, just, just say that again so that, right, we don't miss that because I think it's important. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, we've had higher corn prices mm-hmm. for Dees Corn. Okay, but they've, they've occurred in, in June and July, and, you know, they occurred in, in 2012 and um, 2008, I believe, actually. We had a higher Dees corn price than we are uh, today, but never at this point on the calendar. Without we, a crop being planted, too. Yeah, and, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the, the crop progress and the slow planting progress. That That's a factor, right? We're, I think, 14% planted on corn. Uh, today, they're expecting 16%. We're recording this on uh, May 3rd. So yesterday we had a crop progress report, came in a little bit below expectations and a wet forecast. And yeah, we have the potential to probably add in a little bit of premium because of that. But I think the market is also paying attention to the fact that drought monitor is not looking as scary. Right? Yeah, so it's no doubt. two sides of that coin when you get yep. rain. It, yes, it does slow down planting progress, but it alleviates some of the stress that could come down the road. So I don't know. It, it we're getting to that tipping point, and and in years where we had high prices like this, uh, oftentimes we're putting in those highs in May or June. So like I said, I think the window of opportunity might might be coming to an end here. And when you look back at years like 2012, which happened to be the first year that I started in this industry, <laughs> um, it was a good learning experience. But you know, you talk to farmers about that year, and there's not a single one of them that would say that they didn't. Re- or that they didn't regret not forward selling more corn during that time frame. Not yeah. just for new crop twenty two, but new crop twenty three. And I know we're going to talk about that later. But yeah. you know, if you've sold a significant portion of your APH on on uh, new crop twenty two already, and let's say it's at a significantly lower price than we are today, um, say you averaged five dollars with that, right? It's important to note kind of how crop insurance fits into that, okay? So if I forward sold, you know, half of my APH at five bucks and I'm looking at this the, the spring um, crop insurance price, I think it was 590, and I've got an APH at 210, my cost of production is right around 980 bucks, maybe slightly below a thousand, which is up roughly $200 from last year, thanks mostly in part to the rising fertilizer uh, market. You're still looking at a profitable situation for your operation in almost every price or yield scenario. Okay, yeah. but if you wanted to somehow boost the profitability of your operation moving forward, you know a lot of times collecting some option premium is not a bad idea. Um, you know, selling some short dated new crop call options and collecting some premium and spreading that out over the different yield and price scenarios is going to help you smooth out the profitability of your operation. So. Producers out there who are not kind of paying attention to the different what ifs that could occur with different price scenarios in the fall and different yield scenarios in the fall and how those all kind of fall together in a matrix. I think it's important that you do that. Uh, there's a lot of different what ifs. Yeah, it's very unlikely someone who has a, uh, an APH of 210 is going to grow, you know, 160 bushel per acre corn, mm-hmm. uh, but it's possible. Yeah. Uh, but because you have crop insurance, you're going to be okay. There's a lot of guys out there that probably have forward sold a decent amount, but if, if you're not up to kind of that 
50% level yet on forward sales for new crop 22, or at least protection, right? Yeah. Just because I say forward sale, that doesn't mean you have to go sell futures or make a forward cash sale or do a hedge to arrive. There are other ways to protect yourself via the options market or some of the different strategies that Landis offers through cash contracts that allow you to maintain upside, but still protect downside, right? Yeah. But you can't have that without spending a little premium. There's nothing, yeah. you can't have, have you cake and eat it too. <laughs> You know, the the strategies that you recommend, Ashley, to producers on a daily basis, they differ. Yeah. Right? Based on that producer's unique situation. You know, what is your cost of production? Uh, what's your goal? How much have you already forward sold? What are you afraid of? You know, you're asking these types of questions to farmers on a daily basis. And based on how they mm -hmm. answer those, you are taking all that information in and, and presenting them probably with a few different choices and what they could do. Um, or at least goals that they could have in mind because just because we're not at a certain level today doesn't mean you can't work an offer, right? Exactly. Um, I, I'm sure you try to drill that into producers' heads on a daily <laughs> basis. But it's amazing. Like, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, we, we see the offers that come in from the various co-ops and, and grain elevators that we deal with on a daily basis, and there's not a lot working out there. I mean, we, yeah, we saw no. much more corn sold at $5 than we have at 6 or 7 And I, I think... Rather than kind of keeping the foot on the pedal and, and accelerating into that that rally, people are, are pulling back. And oftentimes they wait until the market's pulled way back before they say, oh, I will sell if it comes back to this level, right? Yeah. And I saw, I mean, we saw that this morning when corn fell yesterday, you know, some of my customers that didn't get $8 cash right away this morning, they're like, it's back at eight, I better sell some, you know, it's like this um, flip of the coin thing. But I think what I love about years like this is we truly are learning what a customer's risk management position or, you know, what his tolerance is. Um, so that's fun for me. But uh, sticking with Dees 2022, I want to hear your quick thoughts on basis, um, this basis word. I have a lot of customers, right, that have futures only contracts um, is what we call them here um, mm -hmm. at Landis, but hedge to arrives. They're really trying to play out this basis game and, oh my gosh, 40 to 50 under, which is what most of our co-ops are posted at um, in Landis today, our locations feels really wide for the last couple of years. But I mean, historically, that's not out of whack, but tell us, right, with this kind of acreage report that we saw in March. I mean, how do we even do this basis thing? Tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I, I really like this question. So I think there's two different components to why the basis environment is where it is today for new crop. And the main one, in my opinion, boils down to a world, word called margin. Okay. <laughs> so if you don't like the basis that Landis Co-op, or and this is not a unique thing to Landis Co-op, okay? Mm -hmm. So the basis environment across the state of Iowa and across the Corn Belt is like this as well. You know, 40 to 50 under is the norm. It's not just a, a Landis Co-op thing. But if you do not like what that basis, posted basis is, you can do a futures-only contract with Landis, right? Yeah. When you do a futures-only contract with Landis, you have to pay probably some type of, of fee to do that, yeah. right? Why is that? Well, Landis is the one that's going out there and selling a futures contract on your behalf, right? And taking that, like now it's our risk position. Yep. So they they sell the futures contract on the board through StoneX or an FCM, right? And they have to post initial margin and they have to margin that position as the market goes up and down. Yeah. And that takes capital, right? So Landis is charging you a fee or any 
grain elevator out there is charging you a fee to do a futures only or hedge derived contract because of the capital that is needed uh, to finance that hedge position. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't want to pay that fee, you can do a forward cash sale, right? You're going to be subject to whatever that that basis is that, that the grain buyer is posted at that point. But in times like this, where you have increased uncertainty and higher volatility in the market, it means that Landis or any grain buyer has to set aside more dollars uh, to finance the potential move that could occur in the corn market. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't like either two of those choices or options that I've given you, right, a forward cash sale or a futures only contract, you can go out there and sell a DEES futures contract in your own brokerage account. Mm -hmm. Okay. But there's a thing called a margin call that, that <laughs> uh, not only do you have to post initial margin, but you have to margin a position if it continues to run higher. So mm -hmm. if you don't want to do that, that's why cash contracts exist. Yeah. Um, whether it's a futures only or, or a forward cash sale. So that that's the first component. Okay. The second component uh, of why I think the basis environment is a little bit weaker than we've grown accustomed to in recent years and frankly, I'm happy to see it back where it is. I'm sorry, farmers. Um, I don't <laughs> like, so I, I advise commercial grain elevators and our job is to make money trading basis so that we can continue to build facilities for you and uh, keep the co-op up to speed with the industry norms and, and invest in the cooperative that you own. Uh, we have to make some money trading basis to do that, right? So I don't like seeing us pay 10 under the D's when we don't have any carry in the market, knowing that it's going to be very, very difficult to make make money trading basis that year. Yeah. But the, the other component that is factoring into the, what I would call more normal basis environment now is uh, the cost of freight. So we're sitting here in Collins, Iowa today, right? Um, not sure how far away we are from Nevada, but I imagine a lot of the corn that um, comes here goes to Nevada. Um, let's say it does. The freight rate, let's just use an example here to Nevada, um, prior to this year, maybe it was eight cents mm -hmm. a bushel to haul corn from Collins to Nevada. If you've been paying attention to what diesel prices have done here over the last year, you kind of know where I'm going with this. And also the shortage of truckers and, and truck freight, Yeah. period. What used to cost eight cents to haul from here to Nevada might be 15 cents today. All right. So that, that means that our bid versus the end user needs to be seven cents weaker to account for that increased freight cost. If we buy it here today and we and turn around and sold it to Nevada, we have to make sure that we have enough wiggle room in there to not lose money day one, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say that's that's another big component. It's just the increase in freight. And if you know farmers don't like that, they're they're going to face the same freight issues that Landis does, right? They exactly. have they have high diesel prices as well, and you know while crude oil has somewhat calmed down here recently, diesel has not. Yeah. Um, and part of that probably boils down into the fact that you know diesel fuel consumption is is less elastic to price than regular unleaded fuel, right? If I, if I'm a normal consumer and I see gas prices where they are today, I'm probably not going to drive as much on mm -hmm. average, but we still need to move physical yeah. goods around um, and the economy is is up to this point kind of been in steady recovery mode so we have not seen a slowdown in demand for diesel and because of that we have a shortage and high prices. Well and I really appreciate that you threw that point out because I do feel like sometimes 
my day-to-day conversations are, what are your trucks worth to you, sir? And it's it's a really hard conversation with a farmer because I feel like this time of year, it's, it's been raining. You know, he has maybe an employee or a farmhand on, on the farm and it's like, well, I just got to find a job for him. So he's going to go on a truck. But it's still like, what does that cost you, right? And so freight and fuel and trucks are such a hard conversation to have with a farmer. Um, but I love that you threw that point out and, um, you and I have the same opinion on basis and it's, um, definitely not a fun one all the time to have with our customer here today. So moving on to D's 2023, what are your thoughts? I mean, how do you feel like the farmer can really take advantage of some of these aggressive board prices of diesel 2023, obviously not knowing the fertilizer and input costs completely yet. Yeah. Um, so this last year has been a, a learning experience for a lot of folks, including myself, on on probably not getting too aggressive mm-hmm. in forward marketing corn when we don't know exactly what the, the cost of production is for the next one. And there's a few different variable costs that are floating around for us, right? Um, one of those is rent. We probably have an idea what that could be, but not exactly yeah. uh, into the next year. Fertilizer is a big one, seed, chemical, fuel. Um so before we kind of know those numbers, which we do for this year, and we also know where crop insurance is, so we can be a lot more confident about making sales this year than we can uh, new crop 23. Uh, I still think, going back to that point I made about 2012, you know, when, we, when you have a string of highly uh, profitable years, these past couple of years that we've had, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's almost always the case that in the subsequent years, whether it's the year after or maybe it's a year down the road, you're going to return to an environment where uh, corn prices are below the cost of production. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's in- important to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. I w- I'm not advising farmers go out there and sell 85% of your APH for uh, new crop 23. That would, that would not be wise. However, you can start to dabble and, and, and put on some small sales. And there are different ways that you can protect the price risk of corn for new crop 23, other than again, selling futures or doing, uh, a futures only contract or doing a forward cash sale, you can go out there and do some option strategies or, or different grain contracts that Landis offers on the cash side that allow you to put a floor underneath the crop, but leave some upside open. That, that gives you a little more confidence knowing that even if uh, input prices rise and they tend to rise with corn prices, is not directly correlated. I'm okay because I have some upside potential open, but at least I've protected the catastrophic we dropped three dollars from this level and shoot i missed a big opportunity Mm -hmm. right so look look into some of the different grain contracts that landis offers if you don't feel comfortable doing that there's a lot of uh, folks out there probably that aren't comfortable trading futures and options on their own brokerage account landis has a ton of people in their growth solution center a ton of people that work out at locations that understand how these contracts work they understand uh you know the 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 difficult decisions that farmers are facing on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and they can help you navigate that. It's important to have advisors that uh, you know can give you objective advice. It's dangerous to listen to the advice of people that are trying to sell subscriptions to you. Yeah, because yeah. I think we we all fall into that thing where you know we all like to read things that we like to hear or listen <laughs> to things that we like to hear. You know, without getting too political here, but. Um, the same thing exists on, you know, grain marketing information, right? Yeah. Don't just read grain marketing information that has a bullish slant always. Don't just read grain marketing information that always has a bearish slant. You need you need to find somebody that you think can give you an objective uh, opinion 
no one knows what's going to happen, but we know the situation today. We know what the numbers are today. And it, it's our job to try to just layer into, I would say, risk management strategies for that new crop 23 slowly and in a variety of different ways. I would say mixing up the way in which you're marketing grain and the time frames in which you're marketing grain is probably the best piece of advice I could give to any farmer. It's dangerous to go all in or or to do nothing. Yeah. But it's important to kind of spread things out both in the variety of strategies you're using and the, and the time frames and price levels you're entering into those. Yeah. Well, the last thing I really want to reiterate here is fertilizer and inputs are obviously not correlated with the price of grain, um, as we've talked about a little bit here. But our farmers really need to know that, you know, both inputs and grains have risk and you need to find trusted partners like Jake mentioned um, to really help you understand both. And I think a, a good caveat here to say is the farmer doesn't pay me to market his grain, right? Like I'm paid by the elevator, but you don't subscribe to a service for me to, to help you market your grain or any of our, you know, account leads or um, people in our growth switching center. So take advantage of us um, and just really, you know, take that and run with it. Um, I also want to give a huge shout out here. If you have not listened to the last agronomy segment of this podcast, you need to do so ASAP. Um, as we talk about fertilizer and the risks there, they really do a great job in covering that in our last segment. Um, well, Jake, anything else you want to go ahead and add before we wrap up our conversation here today? Um, I would just say, you know, it, it can feel overwhelming as, <laughs> as a grain producer at times to take in all this information that, that we're presenting to you, whether it's on the grain side or the fertilizer side, which if you think the grain market's been crazy, um, yeah. you know, tune into that podcast. I'm sure there's some really good information about the <laughs> fundamental challenges that the fertilizer market is is, is uh, presented with today. But uh, yeah, just take a deep breath. Um, find somebody you trust and and it's important to have a plan. It's important to, to stick to that plan and sometimes adjust the plan when needed. But I think there's not enough um, producers out there that number one, do that first step that we talked about knowing knowing your cost, knowing your break even, taking the time to actually write out a marketing plan and update it on a regular basis uh, because we spend a lot of time and resources and, and effort into growing the crop. And increasingly, it, it's more and more important to spend time on marketing that crop. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're dealing with a, a commodity business here, right? It's not always going to be the case that we're making three, four, or $500 an acre. I can guarantee you that. So mm -hmm. it, when we get into those tighter years, that becomes more and more important to be diligent about being good grain marketers and locking in profit when it's there, because the people that do that are going to be in this business long term. And, and we're going to see potentially consolidation continue to occur. We see it at every level of every business when it comes to, to agriculture and that that does not spare the grain farmer. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that would be my advice. And and. Um, Good luck to the, the farmers out there on this upcoming growing season. I'm sure this next year is going to be just as challenging on the grain marketing side as, <laughs> as the, the previous two. Yeah. Um, and uh, good luck to y'all. Well, the last thing that I want to add is um, all of our producers are going to get in the field at some point here. And so I would really advise you, if you've got some target prices in mind, before your head starts to really shift into, um, I call it the go-go bunny season, right, of trying to get this crop planted, 
get with someone like myself, um, your trusted advisor, and get a lot of offers working ahead of this planting season so that they're working for you without you having to work for them. But I just really want to thank you, Jake, for joining us today. And thanks to our listeners for listening in. Be sure to join us next time. 